0: The Gospel is written in the 28th verse of the 19th chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke. And when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which, at your entering, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him, and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do ye loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way, and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon, and as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, where the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you, that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. This is the Gospel of the Lord. May I speak in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. It's a beautiful sunny day outside. We should be there in a crowd, in a procession, with a donkey, cheering as our Lord comes to Jerusalem. And singing, singing in particular, that wonderful hymn which captures Holy Week perfectly. And of that hymn, one verse in particular should stand out on this particular day, every year. Sometimes they strew his way and his sweet praises sing, resounding all the day, Hosannas to their king. Then crucify is all their breath, and for his death they thirst and cry. And that's where we are in the Palm Sunday liturgy. We are the crowd, albeit a socially distant crowd this year. On Palm Sunday we hold up our palms, And we are those crying, Hosanna. And then, later, it's us shouting out, crying, Crucify him, crucify him. There is little subtlety in the way the Palm Sunday service drags us, each personally, from cheering our Lord to wanting him dead. Which probably leaves you thinking that this is, frankly, A bit much. You, we, are the people who have been bothered to mark Palm Sunday at all, to have downloaded a sermon, maybe watched a priest live-streaming a service if those haven't been banned completely yet. Having done that, it's a bit much to be told you are the crowd, baying for the blood of Jesus. But you know, the ancient liturgies of the Church are not wrong on this point. Sometimes we strew his way. And his sweet praises sing, resounding all the day, Hosannas to our King. Then crucify is all our breath, and for his death we thirst and cry. For his death we thirst and cry. The only reason we don't think that we are standing in the crowd calling for him to die is that we haven't understood who he is. Perhaps I can paint a picture of how we see him. He stands there, passive, hands bound, crown of thorns on his head. His face is almost expressionless, but what expression we can discern seems to mix pity with the refusal to judge his persecutors. As Rowan Williams puts it, we often see Jesus as someone who came to Jerusalem to deliver a course of lectures on the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man, who then gets caught up in an unfortunate and inexplicable miscarriage of justice. Why, what hath my Lord done? What makes this rage and spite? He made the lame to run, he gave the blind their sight. Well, if that's all that he did, if he is only, as many say, and I'm sure you've heard it as many times as I have, that Jesus was a good teacher, whose ethics we should follow, Then there is one really obvious problem, famously put by William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury at the end of the Second World War. Why anyone should have troubled to crucify this Christ has always been a mystery. He was innocent. We often hear that about this time of year when talking about Jesus. He was innocent. He had an unfair trial. He was a victim of oppression. Well, only up to a point the honest truth is he was banged to rights he was convicted of claiming that he was the messiah and that he was the son of god and of course jesus did claim that he was the messiah and that he was the son of god that's why we're here to get today that's why we've tuned into a sermon rather than radio 1 that's why we miss our churches so desperately this week When Jesus arrived on Palm Sunday, there was nothing innocent about his entry into Jerusalem. Look at the words cried out by the crowd. Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Those are no innocent words. And the whole scenario is framed by a prophecy in Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. This was a calculated political statement. And when was he doing it? The week of the Passover. The story that goes to the heart of what it means to be Jewish, which establishes the, their identity as the people of God, specially protected by God, and twice in their history, liberated by God. The Passover was the most dangerous time of the year for the authorities. Normally, the Romans allowed the Jewish aristocrats, who ran the temple, the high priests, uh, to run Jerusalem without any direct oversight. But at the Passover, they flooded Jerusalem with troops. This was also the ideal time to collect the taxes, which they expected the leaders of Jerusalem to collect on their behalf. In other words, there was no point in the year when the Jews felt more oppressed, than at the Passover, and no time when they were more expectant of liberation. And storming into this febrile atmosphere was Jesus, on a donkey, just like the prophecy said the liberating king would do. And he arrived from the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is on the other side of the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem and directly faces the Temple Mount. By coming down that route and coming in through the east gate, he couldn't be any clearer about his challenge to the temple authorities. Which is all very well, except it doesn't remotely explain how you and I can legitimately be placed in the crowd, crying out, crucify him, crucify him. The trouble is that this Messiah liberated his people, but not even remotely in the way they expected. This Messiah wasn't a human hero, a second David to the fight. No, His enemy was a much older oppressor, human sin, a second Adam to the fight. His challenge to us is radical, to transform our entire lives, to love, to love our neighbours, to love our enemies, to love those who need our help. Pope Francis, when he became Pope, rather shocked the Church by reminding us that without the cross, we are nothing but a pitiful NGO. And that is a stark lesson to us all this year. This challenge, to allow ourselves to be transformed into the nature of God, to open our hearts fully to the needs of our neighbours, especially this year, especially those who are alone, who are isolated. We must allow ourselves to love and to live our lives for love. But how many of us could really say that we do that? How many of us, if faced by Christ today, could really cry Hosanna at his return? How many of us would really, if we ask ourselves honestly, prefer Christ to stay firmly in the book of the Bible and not become a real figure in our lives? How many of us, in our actions, crucify Christ again? Sometimes we strew his way. And his sweet praises sing, resounding all the day, Hosannas to our King. Then crucify is all our breath, and for his death we thirst and cry. Amen.